This week on Writers Inc. That's what the market's looking for in fiction right now, an escape. You can be grappling with, with real themes and heavy themes, but ultimately, if we're feeling it's really heavy in those first pages, I can tell you that like Hollywood and publishing alike, not, not what we're looking for right now because people are just feeling heavy. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and a panel of industry powerhouses as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. Hi, it's Christine Daigle. J.P. Reinflush. Kevin Tomlinson. And I'm J.D. Barker. Welcome to Writer's Inc. Kevin, you are the new voice of Author Nation, correct? I am. Yeah, uh, I'm coming up in the world. Yeah, I just uh, uh, so Joe Solari, as er, as people may or may not know, uh, has has bought out the Twenty Books Vegas Conference. It was like the largest indie author conference on the planet, uh, and is rebranding it to Author Nation. And uh, to kind of help with uh, promoting that and launching that, we are we have launched the Author Nation podcast. So. Yeah, we did. We spent two days in Austin last week, uh, recorded about eight hours worth of video and audio interviews with people who we flew in. Uh, so that's that's going to be like the first set of interviews. But we're looking for people to submit ideas, uh, both uh, topics, guests, whatever you think you want to hear more about. You can do a deep dive on that if you go to authornation.live slash deep dive and you can submit whatever you want. Some of us here among us have uh, submitted some things, right, Christine? That is true. I did. I did. I made a recommendation today. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I, uh, I'm excited about the shift in the conference. And it, there's a lot of sort of mixed feelings about it. But I, I'm kind of a little bit on the inside. So I get to see some of what they're, you know, what their thinking is. Uh, there's a real sense that there's a shift happening in the indie publishing world. Like there's some pivot that's happening. I, and I fully agree with that. I think there's a lot of change coming. And this is part of it. Cool. All right. Well, JP, what is in the news? All right. First up, uh, the Hugo Awards are facing yet another controversy. Uh, so the Hugo Awards, for those that don't know, uh, recognizes excellence in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and they recently uh, faced a new controversy uh, regarding eligibility decisions in the 2023 awards. So previously, uh, they have uh, been under fire for questionable sponsorship that interfered with nominations and a string of issues that made it necessary to revamp the entire World Science Fiction Convention. Uh, this time around, authors uh, Jiren J. Zhao, the author of Iron Widow, and R.F. Kuang, uh, the author of Dragon Emperor, uh, were surprisingly deemed not eligible despite having enough votes for a nomination. This raised questions within the literary community, uh, and Kwan's novel Babel was particularly noted um, for its exclusion, uh, giving its widespread acclaim, including a Nebula Award um, and significant commercial success. So no explanations were really given on why these authors were excluded uh, at the time, but this is just another potential controversy within the Hugo Awards. So I, I don't write science fiction. Have any, any of you guys ever went up for a Hugo Award? 
Sabrina. No, but I know a lot about this. <laughs> I know a lot. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to bear with me because I'm having breathing issues, which will be corrected next week. But story time, if I have a minute. For those who don't know about the original controversy, there was a group of authors who got dubbed the sad puppies yeah. mm-hmm. who um, worked together to block vote, to block diverse authors from getting on the ballot. It happened from 2013 to 2017. So there was a flaw in the voting system. You could buy a membership. You become a member of Worldcon. It's about 50 bucks. You can nominate and they just slam the ballots. Then something kind of wonderful happens. There was a splinter group called, that they called the Rabid Puppies who put an author called Chuck Tingle up for a, a yeah. joke. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuck Tingle writes gay erotic romance. It's very campy. It's very fun. Supposedly it was kind of to make fun of LGBTQ plus authors, I guess, but it gave him notoriety. (laughs) And he was on the ballot like every year after that and used it to huge advantage. So that was kind of the original thing that happened. I thought that they rectified that voting issue, but Worldcon this year is in China. And both of those Mm -hmm. authors were born in China. Um, So there's question about whether it's political. They also Mm -hmm. blocked uh, Neil Gaiman from getting a vote for Mm -hmm. a Sandman episode. And he's publicly criticized China so for imprisoning writers. So I don't know, but that's what I know about the controversy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that was uh, very uh, informative. I didn't know half of that. So, uh, yeah, that's wild to say the least. And I'm curious. I followed this very closely the first time around. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. do remember when the whole sad puppies thing uh, was a thing. And when Chuck Tingle got nominated and won uh, – you know, there was a lot of, I don't know, there, it, I, I don't like that. I don't, I, I don't begrudge him being nominated or anything, but it, he was not the, the reasons he was nominated or what I have a problem with. We're, we're horrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but he took it and ran with it. And uh, I think yeah. one of his no- yeah. novels was called Slammed in the Butt by my Hugo nomination. Right. So he just yeah. rolled yep. with it after that. So. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. On lighter notes. <laughs> uh, I get lighter than news. that. I don't know, but we're going to try. An eight-year-old snuck his handwritten book into a library shelf, and now it has a 56-person waiting list. Uh, So eight-year-old Dylan uh, Helbig, uh, an aspiring author, uh, self-published his 81-page graphic novel, The Adventures of Dylan, uh, and uh, placed it secretly in his local library in Boise, Idaho. Um, It was created with, like, colored pencils, and it was just a bunch of, like, imaginative things within it. And uh, the library actually embraced this initiative and offered it as their collection, and uh, it ended up having this long waiting list as the uh, locals uh, thought it was somewhat adorable and and joined in on the fun. Um, I found this article rather humorous, but also, uh, you know, go for Dylan, right? Yeah, this is a, I, I, I called this out on Twitter as a purely young Kevin move. Like this is totally something I yep. would have done. And uh, I, I mean, I'm like busting proud of this kid for for just having the, the stones to pull this off. Yeah. And it, how could this not lead to some kind of career? Like somebody's got to be out there watching. Yeah. 
Well, well, they say self-published, but was it actually like a, did he even go through like the indie publishing process? It sounds like it's just a bunch of pages sort of stapled together and, you know, which is, makes yeah. it even more awesome. I mean, if you think about it, like, I, I'm curious if this could actually like become a thing, like maybe now this book needs to actually get picked up and actually get published and actually end up in other libraries, um, yeah. which would be a, a fun thing to see. Yeah. Um, and, and also like as an author, like have any of you ever like, consider just putting your book in the library like just walking in a, a copy no but now not I want the library to. but i i have in the past slipped my book onto the shelves of various bookstores just just because <laughs> so and and uh because they're they are part of like their inventory system well they're not in their inventory mm -hmm. but the, because they are part of the you know they the system they use to order you know they are able to sell them so uh yeah I, I don't do that now. I don't think that's right. necessarily such an awful thing, but I, I, you know, those were early days. You're just days. giving them free inventory. Free inventory. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but now I'm going to the library after this, uh, after the podcast. Just, <laughs> with, with, yeah. with a box of, of with books. a box. <laughs> uh, all right. Last up in the news, uh, Penguin Random House to distribute Wattpad Webtoon. So back in June, Wattpad and Webtoon merged um, studio divisions and created a Wattpad Webtoon Studios, um, which was a fully funded, fan-driven global entertainment powerhouse. Um, now, Penguin Random House uh, has entered into the multi-year into multi-year sales and distribution agreement with Wattpad Webtoon Book Group. Um, effective September 1st. This agreement covers global distribution of both new and existing titles from uh, this fiction and graphic novel imprints, including Wattpad Books, uh, W by Wattpad Books, and uh, Webtoon Unscrolled. Uh, this new partnership uh, reflects this ongoing strategy of collaborating with major comics and graphic novel publishers. And this is something we've talked about with other articles recently. Um, and uh, they they made deals with Dark Horse Comics, um, IDW, Marvel, and Disney Publishing's wing as well. Um, so I just thought this was interesting, uh, especially because we've been talking about Wattpad and it is sort of like this free service for authors. But here again, we see the potential of, as to where it can go uh, when distribution and publishing areas kind of pick up on them. Does Does Wattpad let you... Like if you were an indie comic creator, are you able to distribute your your books or your work on Wattpad? I, I'm yeah. I've only ever yes. seen text stuff, so I don't. I don't. I didn't know they did. Are you asking for novels. a friend? I explored Kevin? it a little bit. Are you asking for asking a for a friend? <laughs> asking. For I explored a it a little bit because um, Webtoon uh, was its own app for a really long time, and that yeah. was just it's it's basically wattpad but for comics um and so it was like web comics that anyone could put up in there and the fact that they merged together it just it brought the two together um so the answer to your question is yes um i just don't know if it's like wattpad.com as much as it is whatever website mm -hmm. would be for the graphic novels very cool this this brings up two things for me uh, wattpad is obviously growing up um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this was fan fiction and things like that years back. And, and now all of a sudden it's, you know, this, this makes it legit for, for sure. Um, my, my only real concern with this, if you read the terms of services for Wattpad and you know, a lot of these other sites, you know, they basically own the content that you post up there that you give them the right to 
redistribute that content, um, which is you know, necessary language in order for them to basically give people access to whatever you post. But at the same time, like that could actually be used against you to a certain extent with this. They could, you know, they could license your, your material, the words that you put up there to somebody else without having to pay you, um, unless there's something outlined in that agreement that requires them to pay you or, or you know, or something along those lines. I would just be very, very careful of this and not only with Wattpad, but with Patreon and any of these other sites. I mean, even Facebook, you know, they got in trouble years ago because you know, people realized that they were taking pictures off their own site um, and using them in advertisements. They were selling yeah. them to other companies and allowing, you know, because you give them permission to do that uh, as part of the terms of services. Um, so, you know, content is king and content obviously has a value. You have to be very careful of, of where you, you put your own. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious about like how they make money off of this, how Penguin Random House, because I know Wattpad has traditionally been free. Do they charge for these comics or are they just trying to dominate? I don't know. I know there was a certain portion of Wattpad that was a premium or paid version of it. And I know that the authors that got into that deal got money out of it as well. Um, I would presume that there may become a section of this that is paid or, or something along those lines. This episode is brought to you by Autocrit. One of the most value-packed memberships for any author, Autocrit brings you an amazing suite of tools that make it a breeze to plan, write, and edit your books all in one place. Autocrit takes you far above standard grammar checking or cookie cutter guidance. Instead, it's like having an experienced editor in your genre watching over your shoulder to help you deliver great writing that keeps your audience trapped in the story. You can even compare your writing style to more than 100 best-selling authors right down to the word level. So you can see what the best in the business do to keep their storytelling clean, clear, and crisp. Listeners of the Writers Inc. podcast can now take advantage of lifetime membership for one single fee. That's right, no renewal fees. Hi, this is JD Barker. I've used Autocrit for years, and not only has it improved my writing, but it's been a crucial tool with aspiring authors that I've mentored. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just beginning, it'll help you find your weak spots and weed them out. Give it a shot with your latest project. Trust me, your editor will thank you. Head to autocrit.com slash JD to get your lifetime membership. Big thanks to Autocrit for sponsoring the show. All right, JD, who is up this week? This week, we've got Lucinda Halpern. She's the founder and president of a Manhattan-based literary agency called Lucinda Literary. Uh, she's got 15 years of experience in book publishing, and she also has a new book coming out February 6th called Get Signed, Find an Agent, Land a Book Deal, and Become a Published Author. Uh, so here she is, Lucinda Halpern. You are a literary agent with over 15 years of experience in both publicity and agenting. You've done PR for Harper's Collins. You have done sales and marketing for Scholastic. And you've also done agenting where you've secured big five publishing deals. And now you have a new book coming out next week called Get Signed. That's right. Yeah. So it's about unlocking the secrets to capturing an agent's attention and getting traditionally published. So in your new book, you outline six steps that you have taught other writers on how to create a winning concept, craft a pitch, land a book deal. That's right. I mean, just to jump in, this is such a passion project because there really is not a one-stop destination book that exists, that is current, that is written by an agent who's in the trenches of New York book selling every day, doing this day in and day out, making the decision to take on first-time writers in particular. So 
Um, I'm just so super excited to have this resource to offer to writers who are confused and locked out and need the information. Yeah. And I'm sure like it's, it's difficult. It's not an organic thing. It's hard to piece all the information together. So I'm sure unaged and aspiring authors will really appreciate this. So I'd like to start at the beginning. How do you think writers can tell if they have a winning idea? Hmm. So, you know, it's almost, it's funny. It's often the thing that we overlook, the thing that seems simplest. It's like we're this established business professional, but we want to write a memoir or a literary novel. And so I'm meeting with writers and coaching them. I'm like, that's actually not the thing you want to do. What you want to do is write squarely in your area of expertise. And once you accomplish that first book, you can do whatever you want, right? Like you can publish that book. And if it's successful, you can write that literary memoir or novel. But I think that it sort of begins there with like what's simple and very natural to you and what people come to you for. So if you're a novelist, if you are on social media and you're sharing book reviews, books you love, um, poetry, little snippets and excerpts you're working on, journal entries, and people are loving those, that's sort of you, you can pay attention to that. There's a way to road test your concepts to figure out if there's something there that people like. So that's sort of the first hint. Um, the second would be, what are people talking about? What's, what's the conversation of the day? So right now in publishing, inclusivity is everything. It's long been an industry that is owned by, by a minority, a particular minority of voices. Now it's about spotlighting and elevating all these voices and stories that haven't been heard. So for fiction and nonfiction authors who are writing, it's like, how can we do that inclusively? How can we tell a story inclusively would be very of the current conversation. Um, so it's sort of just paying attention to what those conversations are largely and trying to be really timely with your topic. Those, those would be the hints. Those would be the breadcrumbs to follow. Nice. So you've kind of taken a look at what you're good at, what people ask you about, maybe yes. what you share online that people are engaged in. <laughs> How do you make that marketable to an agent? Okay. So the best thing I can tell you about that is brevity, being super concise. So some of the things you're going to find in this book will strike you as like, oh, that's so obvious. Like it's so obvious and smart because you already probably thought of it. So being brief and concise in a world where email is just overflowing and, and agents are getting slush more than ever before. You know, the old days, like even 10 years ago, people would mail their manuscripts and you would think, wow, that's great because you know, or, or you'd rather say like, oh, that's terrible because you're slushing someone's desk and um, they'll never open it. But no, people, someone had to open those envelopes and maybe peek at the first page. Now you're working with spam filters, gatekeepers, overload of email. Maybe someone's out of office. Maybe someone's on a vacation. That email is never getting seen. So it's making it marketable to agents begins with that email that you write and how easy it is to read. Um, in terms of making the idea marketable, we were just talking about authority uh, a little bit. So, you know, if you are a speaker, as one example, you can talk about how for 10 years, people are coming to you with this one question and you answer it widely. 
if you are a novelist who has a TikTok or Twitter or Instagram feed, you can talk about the fact that you see all this engagement around this topic that you're writing in. And that's what agents and publishers are looking for. We're looking for proof points. We're looking for evidence that there is a readership for your idea beyond your mother, you know? Yeah. Or your husband or your child. So, um, so that's, I, I, you know, again, there's so many ways to talk about how to make an idea marketable, but that's the one that seems most universal. How are you connecting with the outside world? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So be brief. Would you suggest just like putting that hook right up front? I've been speaking on X topic for 10 years, right? Like right in a hook line? Yes. I mean, it's so funny. So I have a lot to say in the book and generally about all the funny things about query letters that we're told or that we believe. And my general perspective is break all the rules. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to make any friends with this book because Agencies have very tough guidelines for a reason. They're very opaque for a reason. Our agency, at least in literary, is trying to like, you know, disrupt that, like upturn all of that. Um, we're trying to actually be much more accessible so that writers have a better shot of getting their stories told. Because there are a lot of, think about it. I mean, you're a novelist, Christina. It's like plenty of creatives can write beautiful books and not know how to sell and promote themselves, Right. And even while there are ways to learn that, that hopefully the book teaches a bit, there you still have to be able to get into someone's material to make that assessment. So there are these guidelines that will say, you've got to start with a long synopsis of your word count and your title. You know what? It's like, we're not going to turn you down if you're the next Glennon Doyle or Colleen Hoover. You can start with anything you want that leads with your strengths. So that's my number one query rule. Just lead with your strengths. It could be your social media platform. It could be how long you've um, been in the field that you're you're writing in. It could be comps. You know, there's nothing like comps. I, I could talk to you all day about comps. When when we have conversations with film agents, all they do is talk in comps. It's going to be this and that and that. And everyone on the online is like, oh, that sounds so exciting because that's the way we all think. It's a lookalike business. Yeah. So I always recommend that writers who don't have a platform, who don't have the, they haven't had a million bylines and been published everywhere, lead us with comps in your first sign. So there's almost like no, you know, I, I try to give a formula, but it really is a patchwork of all of these different things that you think would be compelling about your your novel or your, you know, your masterpiece. Yeah. And do you think the same things that make it compelling to an agent, the hook, the comps, is that the same thing that is compelling for a reader? Yes. So thank you for bringing that up. So one of my favorite things to say in this book and generally is make your query your Amazon description. Like if you step into your future self as an author, what is that Amazon page going to look like? And this is beyond just saying, I see it, I manifest it. This is looking at a book that you love that's in your category and reverse engineering what that Amazon description does. Usually it opens with a hook, right? It's, um, you know, what is going to happen? This is a question or it's, you know, everything was about to be lost. There's some, there's high stakes that are immediately setting you up to read that if it's fiction. If it's nonfiction, you're seeing those takeaways pretty quickly and not generic takeaways, but 
specific one. So, you know, uh, we can get into this sort of be timely, timeless thing that I talk about in the book, but Amazon will give you the best um, model for how to write a query letter and how to think about hooks. I love that. So think of your query letter as your book jacket copy and can't really go wrong. You can't go wrong. <laughs> but forget those agency guidelines and forget the agent who says, I'm not taking on new clients. If they see a compelling pitch, there is always a door to be opened. Yeah. And how, in terms of those are the things that kind of authors can do right. What do you see maybe that authors do wrong or raise mm. red flags that maybe they do without knowing it? Yeah, that's also an area I love to sort of educate people in because, um, you know, you hear so many things like, you, for for example, you hear that agents don't actually want to know anything about the author. They just want to know about the book. And it's like, oh, no, we are taking a risk on books as much as we are authors. So don't leave it to the imagination that, hey, you actually have this like, you know, this huge following in X, Y, Z that that can somehow connect to your book or um, network is a big one. So editors I talk to day in, day out, if you're writing a novel or you're writing memoir, for example, and those two genres are evaluated in much the same way, they may not be looking at your TikTok following, but if you have people in your network through six degrees of separation or two degrees of separation that you can tap to give your blurb sort of a spotlight or a megaphone, your book a, a spotlight or a megaphone, now you have established you know what your online platform hasn't. So that's sort of one of the you know the myths is that you know don't don't like preclude information. Likewise, be honest with us. We're you're, we're your lawyers. We're going to find out everything. <laughs> if you if you're like signed up with an agent that's a friend of ours, that's going to be a problem. You know, so there has to be some degree of of transparency, and there are very respectful ways to say I've worked with an agent or I'm working with an agent. I'm looking for something new. Um, huge huge errors to avoid. I talked about brevity. So the long synopsis is a killer. It's like the very long synopsis. We will, if we're interested, we will request more information. So there is never anything wrong in writing as in pitching to sticking to essentials, you know, only those essential elements. Making it action-packed. So we get a lot of query letters that characterize, we're going to hear about loss. It's going to be about tragedy, coming of age and growth. And we're like, what happens in your book? You know, I, I don't see what happens or I'm hearing about one character. What else goes on? So one of the best things I can say is like, think of your pitch like your movie trailer. You've got just minutes to captivate us with everything we're going to see on the screen because agents are looking, they're reading books as they would movies, right? Like we're already thinking of the movie version. So um you know, you've got to really, we have to feel that engrossed at the query level. Uh, some uh, some other errors, you know, here's a huge one. If, if there are, I mean, it does apply to novelists as well as nonfiction writers. You go and write the whole novel or the whole manuscript before you have the big idea, before you have the outline. You know, many of us are moved by creativity. We don't want to be beholden to outlines. We're thinking about our target reader or um, 
we, you actually have to do all of that work first. And it's really heartbreaking to me when I meet so many people, so many people who have the whole memoir written or the whole business book or even the whole novel. And then they're really struggling with the query letter because we, we do some, we, we do a lot of query letter review and, and guiding authors in that. And what we pick up on is major flaws in the manuscript, mm-hmm. things that haven't been clarified that come out in that very brief letter. Yeah. So it's an interesting exercise to kind of write your pitch first. Yeah, that's actually, that's what I do. And then that is what you do. I do. Yeah. I write my blurb first and then I make people read it and they go, I don't get this and this. And then I rewrite it. And I rewrite right. it. That actually is the hardest part for me. It's harder than writing the book, <laughs> to yes. be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah. is such a hard part. It's like a it book. Is. But, you know, kudos to you for knowing to do that. Because I think as creatives, again, it feels very counterintuitive yeah. and counter-creative. And, and yet this is the way the market thinks that, you know, it's a business they think in categories, they think in lookalikes. Um, there are common formulas that work time and time again. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I would say those are some those are some big errors. Or there are there are so many. I mean, I would say on the nonfiction side and even novelists, to talk about your future marketing plans, it's like an amateur error. Before the book's launch, I will go on a book tour. I will do major, you know, I will do whatever my publicist tells me to. I will build a social media profile. It's like, no, we don't want to hear about the future of what you're envisioning. We want to hear about what you have built that is existing. And so I really think that that what's in existence, who are you talking to, who's the readership you currently have is very important. Yeah. And I want to dig into a little bit more. You said to put your networks like in your query letter. Can you explain a little bit more what that means? Yeah. So, you know, not every author has the liberty to say, hey, I'm connected to Liz Gilbert or James Clear. You know, they, they it's very hard to, to name drop in that way. Many people don't have those connections, which is where comps become really effective because you're stirring our imagination. But in terms of actually including them in the pitch, you know, we've seen writers successfully sign with agents and with publishers if they can actually get a blur before the book is even on shelves. And maybe it's even just about their general work. Like you're not asking, let's use the Liz Gilbert example, mm-hmm. Liz Gilbert to read your whole manuscript and give you a blurb when you don't yet have the book deal. That's very difficult. But if you have a direct connection with someone and they know you, someone might say, Christine is an excellent writer, da, 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 you know, and, and now you have that name, that third party recognition that is just so valuable, right? Like, we don't want to take your word for it. We want to take the the proof. We want we want to see that other people sort of respect and um, engage with your your work. Nice. So would you put those blurbs if you get them right in your query? Like people have said this about my writing? Right in the query. Sometimes we see it in the subject line. Wow. Yeah. I love that tip. I don't think I've heard that before. I'm going to go twist some arms. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. No, I mean, say everything you can in your subject line, which is really, again, a difficult pill to swallow because... Say you have a weak title, a title you're just not sure about and doesn't like stop anyone in their tracks. 
that's going to be your subject line. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not enough to move us. So it's like use anything you can and put it right there at the top, just as you said, to get our attention. I'm just writing that subject line. James Clear says I'm awesome and just send that right <laughs> Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, anything you can. I, I see so many things and they really, they get us to open them right away. You know, twice a, te- twice a TED speaker, newsletter list of X or, um, yeah, again, Elizabeth Gilbert is actual. A novelist came to us and said, Liz Gilbert has bored me as, you know, and I had I had someone in our office read it overnight. Yeah. So those things are really meaningful. That's fantastic. Okay, so you've got your query, you've got your blurbs. How do you know as an author which agents you mm. should be approaching? Who would share your vision, champion yeah. your work? Right. Gosh, I love this question too. Um, again, like, do you do you have four hours for this interview? Because, <laughs> you know, it's there's so much to unpack. But um, you know, the most common advice, which is actually accurate and helpful, is to read the acknowledgments of books you love where agents are mentioned. Uh, I would always recommend that over just going to Query Tracker, Agent Query, any of these other sites, and just sort of pitching like fifty agents at once. I can pretty much tell you that that slush approach will get you nowhere. And it can be really depressing. And Christine, maybe that's gotten you somewhere. I don't want to speak for everyone. You know, maybe people have success with that, but anyone can tell if you've thoughtfully put time into researching your recipient. Um, So many agents, I know so many agents who interviewed in the book, you write that first sign and it feels like it's for them and not slush and they pick it up right? They can tell if you've read the books that you're you're naming. So the personalization cannot be um, underestimated. Publishers Marketplace is the most amazing tool for this because it allows you for a very small price a year to have access to every industry contact, every sale that agent has done or the publisher has done if you're approaching them directly. And say, Lucinda, congrats on your recent deal for Nicole. I've got a book just like it, you know, uh, or I've been reading Chris Bailey's work for years. And now I have something that I think will be a new contribution to the field of productivity. So so that that goes a long way. Um, And the thing about slushing 50 agents at once, you're often not getting that valuable feedback to recalibrate what it is you have and go back out to the next you know, round of people. So this is a secret that agents themselves do. They don't often go, or I would argue that good agents who are willing to put in the time, don't often go to 50 editors at once, right? They go to a small list of personal relationships and they get that vital feedback. And then sometimes they'll recalibrate the pitch or the material itself and go back out to other people. Um, you know, whether this this may be tangential, but we were talking about how the query letter can sometimes reflect the, the, the problems in the actual manuscript. Likewise, it reflects exactly the problems that media is going to have with the book, that readers are going to review on Amazon. So it's like what you're really, you're fact-finding, like you're, you're collecting data on how to improve your product and what could be better than that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one more thing on the agent search that a question people come to me a lot about is like, do I go to the top dog at the agency? Do I go to the young entry level person? 
And there's no one, there's no right answer to this question. It's really all about who shares your vision. Um, but I would say that if you're sort of querying a few, right? Like you're going to big agencies, mid-sized boutiques, solopreneurs, you're going to top partners, younger assistants, like you're getting a variety of people and you're seeing who you connect with and who has the appetite to make your book work. Because a lot of the time that partner at the agency just doesn't have the time and you're better off getting the attention of the younger assistant who trained under them, but is about to have a story career in publishing, right? So that can be a great way in. Yeah. So you've done your batch querying, you're getting some feedback. Would you suggest taking some time off and incorporating that if you're seeing a few of the same issues? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And now you have this chance. I mean, the other myth is this notion of the one shot, you know, gosh, I got rejected. I'm done. Yeah. And I know you have another question here about, you know, eliciting feedback. What do you do when you're not getting response, which is, I can also speak to, but it's a long and winding road. There are always second chances the people who do best and we've represented them are people who take the feedback on board, revise and come back to you. So there are several authors who I wouldn't even call like rejected is not the right word. I said, you know what, the novels doing X, Y, and Z. I'd love to see it take this transformation two years later, knocking on my door. Here's the novel. And I've got an offer from another agent um, a book I just sold, I said, you got to go build a platform. She built the platform. She came back. She got a major deal with Simon Schuster. It's like those success stories happen all the time. So I really think it it it's about eliciting feedback from the right people and then having the capacity to improve and improve and improve. Yeah, it is difficult when you're getting crickets. What do you think authors should do if that's happening to them in the query trenches? So difficult, happens all the time. I mean, honestly, instead of this kind of like, let me look someone up on agent query and blind query them, really you should tap into your inner marketer or, you know, we have these four types of writers who get book deals that we talk about in the book, which is fun. The the, the future crusaders among, among you are going to go out there and just like time and time again, you know, beat the bushes and come up with new ideas until they get get in, right? They're going to call on the favors. They're going to make the connections. So this is, again, where network comes into place. Like, Christine, no matter where you are, wherever you're based, is there an author you know in any genre? Can that person make an introduction to their agent, if it's even if it's wildly wrong? Maybe that agent will not give you the their time, but can they make some form, you know, can they give you some insight, some connection? So always working that way within the system is going to be better. If you are having to work completely blindly, you're getting no response. The funniest thing I hear is, well, I got no response. So, you know, it's over. And I'm like, did you ask? Did you ask for feedback? Did you ask why? Again, this is second nature to an agent, but I totally understand that it's uncomfortable for a writer who's blind querying. I just want to make it transparent that agents are humans just like you we're not looking down from hopefully we're not i'm certainly not looking down from a pedestal like we want to we want you to know that um you know that that your your voice matters your book matters and if we're not getting back it's probably because 
we missed it or we didn't have time or got caught in a spam filter. So the best thing you can do is send a follow-up. Now, what should that follow-up be? Ideally, it's something of an update, something instructive. Like, let's go back to the blurb example. Just got this blurb from James Clear. What do you think now? Or even something like, wow, did you see this conversation is blowing up on, you know, name your social media profile. My book really speaks to that right now. Or, you know, gun safety. I mean, there are any number of current events that you can tie into. So you find a follow-up that feels relevant. Um to that person, right? These letters are all about the win-win. It's not just like, I'm passionate, I wanna get published. Why is this going to be valuable to you? So I recommend asking really specific questions uh, when you don't hear anything, you know, or if you get a, if you get a rejection, it's like, I try to make them multiple choice and eliminate thinking on the part of the recipient. So, and and you'll have to let me know if I'm going too fast here. I feel like I'm... No, I'd love to hear more about that. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. So, so in the book, we talk about how there are three keys to getting a book deal. And the first key is great writing. And the second key is a platform. And the third is a big idea. Um, and that's actually the reverse order, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you only need two of the three. In my in my deep experience of this, rarely does a book have all three of those things. And especially to the novelists who are listening, like you don't need the kind of platform when you get out there that a nonfiction expert driven book is going to need, right? So what you do need then is the big idea and the great writing. And what I'm hoping that writers will will take away from this, this interview or this book is they can go back to agents and say, would you tell me what you didn't find commercial about this or sellable about this? Was it the writing or was it the platform? Like make it super easy. You don't want someone to feel like they have to write you a sensitive flowery letter in response. You just want the answers. So how can you eliminate the thinking time and really get critical feedback is, yeah. is how I would guide writers to follow up with agents. No one's gonna hate you for it. No one's gonna say, what's the worst they could do not respond again yeah <laughs> right like you've lost nothing yeah and i love that you give them oh was it the writing or was it the platform so they can say yes or yes or no but and that that's fantastic yeah gives you instrument yeah. feedback that's it's the great. greatest gift you'll ever receive yeah yeah, and I can't believe we're already coming at a close. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I know we were like a half hour has flown by. So you've got your query. Hopefully, you've got an agent's attention, and maybe you're lucky enough to get them to pick you up. Would you have uh, any quick marketing tips once your book is out in the world yeah. that you would suggest authors do? Yeah. So um, we we get the platform question a lot, and. You know, something that writers are really thrilled to learn is it's not about having a million social media followers. You know, rarely do new writers have that, but it is about engagement. And so, again, that proof of concept, agents and editors want to see that people are engaging with your material, commenting and sharing it. The best thing that writers of all genres can do is establish a newsletter and email list because that allows you to do what you love to do, which is write 
You don't have to be out there shooting videos if you don't want to be. You can be writing. But the mistake that people make is they just say on their website, which very few people know about at the time of it being launched, subscribe to my newsletter. It's like, but why? I don't know who you are. What do you offer? Yeah, Got to give so free in, stuff away. Right. So so, so in Get Signed, I talk about what, what I call VCO, so voice content and offering. And voice being everything to 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 editors and publishers like often will we hear i just love the voice and then they want to buy the book or novelists didn't connect to the voice won't won't take it to acquisitions so voice is incredibly important and it cannot be done by artificial intelligence at the moment <laughs> so that's great um content what setting readers expectations like what are you going to be writing about in your newsletter or on your social media feeds that they can keep coming to you to get that content and offering, which, you know, for fiction writers could simply be an escape. That's what the market's looking for in fiction right now, an escape. Yeah. You can be grappling with, with real themes and heavy themes, but ultimately if we're feeling it's really heavy in those first pages, I can tell you that like Hollywood and publishing alike not not what we're looking for right now because people are just feeling heavy. So yeah. so they need that. Um so so VCO uh focusing on engagement, newsletter is great, repurposing is a great hack. So people think I don't have time for social media, I don't want to do it. It's like you write your one piece of content and you blip it out, you know, your podcast is a video, your clip in a newsletter is a tweet. Um you're reposting something else. So your time as a writer is super valuable. I want you focused on your book. The sort of building the platform should be ancillary to that. And you should make, you should get maximum impact from that valuable time you spend creating content. Okay. So a big idea, great writing and a platform. You only need two. What do you think about that? The big idea for sure. It's not going anywhere mm -hmm. without that. Um, and I guess the platform, right? You have to be able to get it out there in the world. See, I was going to go with great writing in the platform because <laughs> you ideas are easy. You know, they, you could turn any idea into, I mean, look at uh, Bridges of Madison County, the terrible idea, but it was a good, it was a, it was well written. So, or, well, I thought it was well written. And so it did well. <laughs> True. But what I'm also thinking is like, if you might have great writing, but you don't have a way to easily convey that message um, at the top header of a message you send out, that's that's sort of uh, lost, I would think. Yeah. And she said probably if you're uh, a fiction writer, platform is not as big of a deal as, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where she and I disagree. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do you road test your yeah. ideas when you're uh, forming them with social media or other ways? No, not me. I just constantly message you, Christine. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I've talked about this before. So I've got a PDF document that has like 10 to 15 uh, book ideas for books that I want to write. And it's basically the title and a you know quick little blurb, a couple sentences describing what it's about. Um, whenever I'm ready to start a new book, I usually review that list with my, you know, the people in my life, my agents, um, you know, my editors uh, and let them kind of decide what they think is going to be something they can sell a year and a half from now, you know, which is roughly when it's going to come out. Um, so that's, uh, as far as road testing, that's about as far as I get. <laughs> 
So when you're looking like at a year and a half out, she talked about um, considering the conversation of the day. Be timely, but be timeless. That one kind of broke my brain. So what do you think about that? <laughs> well, it's almost like writing into a trend, right? Like it's it's near impossible to do. Um, I mean, for the most part, I think you, you got to just go with the idea that is is gnawing at you. And like, you know, if you do have a list of 10 books in front of you that you want to write, which, which one is the one that's really calling out to you? Because that's going to come across yeah. in the writing itself. You know, if, if somebody tells you to write, you know, story B and story B is, you know, a good idea, but it's not something that's really lighting your fire. You know, that's going to come across in the writing. You know, it's going to maybe be bland or just not have as much energy behind it. Uh, you want something that you're passionate about because you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, putting those 80 to 100,000 words down. I, I put all my ideas through what I call the shower test. It's, it's how much time did I spend thinking about this while I was in the shower? And also, what did I forget to do while I was in the shower because of this idea? Did I forget to use the soap? <laughs> Did I forget to shave? <laughs> so the more of those things that that, that idea kind of knocks off to the side, the more I know I got an idea I want to write. Yeah, that's awesome. So she talked a bit about uh, getting your query, getting attention of agents, which I know if you're cold querying, authors dread this. Give evidence that there's an audience for what you write. How would you suggest conveying that? That's a tricky thing too, right? So if, if you write an, a nonfiction book proposal, um, you know, which is typically how nonfiction is sold, you write the proposal first and the publisher will buy that proposal, then you actually write the book. It's, it's very different than the fiction world. Um, in that proposal, you have to list comps and, you know, ex explain why you think this book is something that, you know, people are going to want. Um, and if there are similar books out there, you know, those, those comps, that's, that's helpful. Um, you know, but it's a catch 22, right? Because you kind of want to be first to the, the battlefield with whatever story you're coming out with. So if there are comps out there, now all of a sudden you're something similar to something that's already been put out, um, which means that it, you know, chances are it's probably not going to sell quite as well. So you have to be very careful when it, when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a tricky one. And she said, like, if you don't have accolades, lead with your comps. Uh, she also said, you know, lead with your strengths, break all the rules. Have you ever done that? Um, I don't know what experience you have querying agents. Have you done something that's maybe not the form submission? I'll tell you something I did that worked. Uh, at least it got me responses from actual humans instead of form letters, which was um, I would start the letter with, you know how you, they have the little uh, hashes for like, you know, percent F name for insert first name. So like you're automatically inserting it. So I started my email with that. And then immediately after I'm like, just kidding. Hi, so-and-so. And then I'd go from there. And that actually got me a lot of responses because they thought hmm. it was funny. Yeah. Being yeah. different is key when it comes to querying because, it, you know, most authors or wannabe authors, they'll jump on Google, they'll type in, you know, best query letter, query letter format, whatever it is. And it's going to give them, you know, more or less the same formula that everybody else is using, which means, you know, every agent is getting a couple hundred of these exact same letters over and over again. Um, I had a, a friend of mine who wrote a book a couple of years ago and he sent me his query letter and it was it was good. I mean, the book itself was sort of like a Jason Bourne, but in China, um, he worked in, in New York um, as a, a, a in protection. He was basically in security um, in New York City. And like his query letter basically followed the, the formula that you would expect it to, you know, this, and it was, you know, the kind of thing you would pass over, you know, honestly, when you saw it in your inbox. Um, so I had him flip it on its head and I changed the first sentence of his query letter to I carry a gun in New York, um, you know, which is true because he works security in New York, but like it's a, it's an attention grabber, right? If you're going through, you know, 10, 15, 100 different emails, that sentence is going to jump out at you. It's going to yeah. cause you to stop and at least read a little further down to figure out what's going on. So I think it's important to just be different, you know, figure out what everybody else is doing, and then try to do something a little different. 
Should have had him do a ransom letter and like the whole thing is written in letters clipped from like newspapers and, and magazines. <laughs> that, might and stuff. Be, that might be a little creepy. I don't know. That's a little. <laughs> Give the, you know, you address the agent and then you put their address like right on the front no. line. We, no, then... we don't suggest that. No. no. <laughs> um, Not recommended. No, but you did talk about focusing on action, which I know when I have helped other writers, you know, it's like, oh, my book is about love or my book is about, and it's like, no, give your plot points like your what's exciting about the book. So I thought that was good advice. I, I like what she said about, um, you know, basically use your, the, the description you would use on Amazon. That's your, that's your query. I liked that advice. Like you're, you're, or at least that's the, the part of the query where you're telling them about the actual book. I think that's good because you, you know, if you're doing as a copywriter, if you're actually writing a good gripping, uh, blurb about the book or a book description, like you want to, you want to tell a story without, you want to engage the reader without telling the story. You want to give them the experience they're going to have. So I think that's a good approach to something like this. Now, I haven't tried this, so I can't tell you this will work, but I can say like, that's how humans, that's how we get excited about stuff. It's like, what's the experience I'm going to have? Do I want that experience? Yes. Okay. So I'll give this a shot. Yeah. And some of the advice I've heard uh, from other places is maybe to stop like at the end of act one, when you're on a cliffhanger, you know, you don't want to kind of give it all the way in the query. And, you know, like Lucinda said, don't talk about future marketing plans. That's a no, no. Talk about what you have. Uh, I thought it was interesting what she said about getting blurbs about your general work. I'd never thought about like putting a blurb in a query letter. What do you think about that? Well, I've personally tried to do that quite a bit. If, if you know, because if you chase anybody for a blurb, it's near impossible to get. You know, it could be your best friend, but you know, you're asking them to read an entire book, then drill down to one sentence. You know, to try and sell that book. Um, so when I when I approach authors for blurbs, I typically ask them to give me some type of blurb or a quote based on my writing itself, like something generic that I can use over and over and over again. Um, that tends to be a lot more effective. It's easier on everybody. This way, you're not going back to the same author friends asking them. You know, hey, how about this? You know, can you blurb this book? How about this one? How about this one? Year after year after year, nobody wants to do that. Um, so yeah, you can basically get one good marketing slogan. You know, something you can slap on multiple covers and, and go with it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna send uh, a, the quote. Steve Martin and Drew Carey laughed at my jokes once, and then just <laughs> let that be the blurb. Yeah, that may work. That works. I have some public yeah. <laughs> screenshots from Twitter of both those guys laughing at my jokes. So oh. even though you guys didn't laugh at my so jokes. Clear, clearly a joke you haven't told here on the show yet. <laughs> <laughs> I have a picture of John Scalzi ignoring me, so I can put that up. John Scalzi ignored me once. And I have the Perfect. picture for that. So <laughs> He's a very I have a story nice about person. Scalzi. Yeah, I was just looking away in that picture, which is hilarious. He's nice. <laughs> um, I, I went to a signing he did in uh, Houston at Murder by the Book. And uh, when I got up to him, with with um, I bought a copy of Locked In when it was released. And then... He, uh, he's been signing the whole time and he's been chatting with everybody. So when I hand in the book, I, you know, he looks up like, who do you want me to make it out to? And I said, current occupant. And that there was a beat <laughs> and then he did it. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Um, we got back on the newsletter again. I guess every, you know, every time we talk, we got a hit on how important they are. And Lucinda talked about put your newsletter count in your query letter if it's mm -hmm. impressive. So that's also something that was a bit of a new thought for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that shows mm -hmm. your reach. I mean, it shows you have a platform and it shows that the marketing, they, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. Like there's an expectation among uh, some authors that like, well, if I get a traditional deal, at least I don't have to worry about the marketing, which is completely not true. 
as I'm sure JD can attest, but you know, if you can show them you have some kind of reach, you know, I have 80,000 people that this, you know, I'll send out an email whenever this launches. That means that they have 80,000 potential customers for that book. That's, that's enticing. Yeah. I mean, anytime you, you talk to a traditional publisher, you know, if, if you get those phone calls, um, they're going to tell you how great your book is. That's going to be the first thing out of their mouth. And then the next question is always about your, your social media presence and your followers, your newsletter size, uh, those types of things. And I, I think including that in your, your, your query letter is basically telling them that you are, as an author, are aware of just how important that information is um, and you're not even you know putting them in a position where they have to ask for it you're putting it right out there so yeah it's very important yeah and like I was like she wants to know about engagement she wants to see do people care about your work are they engaging on social media do they comment do they share and then um, you know talking about that newsletter about making sure you have good voice and content the other thing was the follow-up with agents when you don't hear. I thought that was interesting because if you hear crickets, how do you follow up? That's always a difficult thing to do without feeling like being a pain. Like, hey, did you read my query letter? So I really liked what she had to say about making the update relevant. Like, oh, I just saw your sale on Publishers Marketplace or, oh, did you see this conversation on social media? My book is like that. What did you think about that? I, I think that's a fantastic idea. And honestly, that might be the first time that that agent even realizes that you're in their inbox somewhere. Um, because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you sent them something personal. You made it about them instead of about you. Um, and they may reply to your email. And then right after they reply to that email, they're going to dig down through their inbox and go, oh, okay, this person queried me two months ago and I haven't responded to them yet. Maybe I should take a look. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt for sure. Yeah, just don't email them like once a week, like, you know, WTF. No, wait, yeah. wait a few months I, before I, you. I, yeah. I like the idea of, um, so I, I've, I've, I've kind of started doing this a little and I, I, I think I'm going to ex- sort of extend this outward, but you know, I've started just reaching out to people with no, no expectation whatsoever just to say, Hey, I saw this or I read this or whatever. And I just want to say congratulations or whatever, just to connect to them now. Mm-hmm. And so that later, if I do reach out with a query, they already know me. Like familiarity is kind of half the sale, right? Uh, if they if they recognize your name and they have a good feeling about that, then you stand a much better chance of of them accepting a query that you send them, or at least giving you the shot. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and I don't want you to go out and pester people, but you know, if you have an opportunity to reach out or some good excuse to reach out, or if you run across them somewhere out in the wild at a conference or whatever, you know, they get approached by people all the time who are wanting them to buy their book. It would probably be refreshing to just have someone drop by and say, Hey, I just want to say hello, read this article you were mentioned in. Hope you're doing okay. And then you've, yeah. you're, you're actually engaging in, and creating a relationship rather than just trying to do something transactional all the time. Yeah. Conferences are great for that too. You know, you've got a cocktail reception and you've, there was a pitch fest maybe earlier. And so there's 20 or 30 agents at that cocktail reception, you know, chat them up and don't even bring up your book, you know, just talk yeah. to them about the industry, talk to them about something other than your book. Um, but like Kevin said, now all of a sudden your name is familiar to them and they're going to remember that next time they see it. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And I like also what she said about, uh, getting feedback because sometimes you're like, well, why didn't you like my book or why did you reject my book? And I liked that she was like, make it multiple choice, eliminate their thinking. Was, was it the writing? Was it the platform? What wasn't commercial? And then maybe you get some feedback. And like she said, there are always second chances. Take the feedback, revise, try again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you have to be a little careful with that. Um, when I was querying on Fourth Monkey, one of the biggest agents that I, I heard from, you know, well, he was, he was probably the biggest agent on my initial query list. Um, he came back to me and said, I love the book, but you need to cut out the diary sections of the book um, and just turn it into a straight up thriller. Um, and had I listened to him, I don't think the book would have sold because that's readers. That's that's their favorite part. Um, you know, and, and I got that same advice from a couple different agents. So you have to take what they tell you with a grain of salt, um, you know, particularly with the big names that kind of have that off factor about them you know you you feel like they really know what they're doing because they've been doing this for a long time they've got a lot of big sales behind them and if they tell you to do something maybe you should jump and do it um you know it, it doesn't hurt to second guess you know what they tell you either yeah just don't argue with them that's a that's, that's a key. yeah 100 like, yeah. you know, that's where i see i see a lot of people do that and because you're it's so the book is so precious to you that you know any any swipe someone takes at it like you're ready to bow up and throw a punch but it's better to just thank them for the, frankly, just any feedback whatsoever from some of these people mm -hmm. is miraculous. Yep. So just be grateful and, and don't imply one way or the other, whether you're going to take their advice, just be really gracious with them. Well, it's like beta readers, right? If you've got, you know, one person tells you something, you just kind of take it with a grain of salt. If, if multiple people are telling you the same thing, then it may be something you should consider looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just one other thing I wanted to mention she said, right now, people are looking for escapes. Don't start heavy. That's not going to sell. What do you think about that? I always start heavy. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no I, I, I think I've always thought that readers are looking for escape. I, I, I feel like it's kind of rare that somebody dives into a book because they just really want the weight of, you know, the world on their shoulders. Nobody, nobody reads for that reason. And if they do, there's plenty of books for them, but you know, I, I try to write stuff that I think is going to be maybe a, a, even a little on the inspiring side or, or just have some fun. That's what I want my reader to have. And that's the kind of writer I am. So it's a little different, I think. Uh, now, if you're writing like if your stuff is really dark and there's definitely an audience for that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think to say like audiences right now are looking for X or Y is kind of misleading. I mean, I, I, I don't think that audiences are particularly looking for any one thing. I think, the, yeah. you know, they are looking for escape, but they can find it. They don't necessarily need a book to find it. You know, they, there's other ways. Uh, hopefully they're reading our books. But I, I think if you're writing a book with the sort of aim that right, readers want an escape, so I'm only going to write about Oz or whatever it is <laughs> that you think constitutes escape, there's a good shot, a good chance that you're going to miss that shot altogether. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lucinda had some really great advice and she has gifted our readers a masterclass or readers, listeners. You can read us too if you want. She's gifted our listeners a masterclass. Uh, you can get that at www.getsignedbook.com slash gift. We'll have that link in the show notes too. So yeah, it's awesome. It's a link to the workbook. It's a free ebook, pitching, productivity, marketing hacks, and a course called The Essential Elements to Getting Published, all free for our listeners. Thanks, Lucinda. And with that, JD, who is up next week? Next week, we've got Nick Petrion. He's the best-selling author of numerous thrillers, um, best known for his Peter, a Peter Ash novels. His latest book is called The Price You Pay, and it releases February 6th. Sounds great. If you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.